Hello, everybody. Today's episode of All Facts, No Cap. We got Solomon Wilcots, former NFL player turned Emmy winning broadcaster. Solomon, happy to have you on, man. Appreciate it. Stafford, greatly appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. <laughs> man, I'm going to go ahead and hop right into it. I, much like yourself, have followed in your footsteps of leaving the game and then branching over into broadcasting. Talk to me about that transition that you had to go through back when you tried to make that leap. Yeah, and look, I, I didn't, the phone wasn't ringing. It wasn't a lot of people calling asking me to dive into those waters. You know, I had, I uh, worked in local television. I went and started there and you know, I kind of started as a producer. I was a writer, producer, editor, and then became a, 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 a on-air reporter at the local um, NBC affiliate in Cincinnati and then became a local sports anchor. And, you know, once you start dominating the market, you know, yep. your phones start ringing. <laughs> uh-huh. So, you know, I was an anchor. I was a reporter. I would host shows. So kind of learned it from the ground up and turned out all of those skills would come in handy I would eventually get a call from ESPN. I would go to work there, then CBS Sports as a game analyst, and then NFL Network, and and the rest is history. But I do appreciate those early days. No doubt about it. And I remember for me, leaving the game and then going to the NFL broadcasting boot camp and then just being able to navigate through those waters, creating those these those uh those networking opportunities, those relationships. That's what a lot of people don't realize. So talk to me about what you would say is probably the biggest hurdle or the hardest aspect of branching over. And like what you just said, uh, climbing your way to the top. You know, I, I think it's it's two part, right? The first part is kind of like think about when you were a player and what all the work you had to do to get to the NFL, which is the mm-hmm. professional level, right? To get somebody to pay you to play football. Think about yep. how many reps you had to go through just to even um have a backpedal that looked decent. Or <laughs> oh, I remember. Yes, I do. Right. And have an understanding of of what you're doing so that when they talk to you, they know that this guy's a pro. Yeah. So you, it, so I think acquiring all of those reps um, in any industry, in this case, we're talking about broadcasting, just to be able to acquire the reps to get good, I think is most difficult. Um, but I do think with the technology today, whether it's through podcasts or whether through radio, you have a number of different ways where you can accumulate the hours or the repetitions that you need to get good at your craft so that you could be considered heavily um, by the people that matter where they want to pay you to do television. I think another thing is just building those relationships like you talked about yeah. so that people know who you are. Hey, look, you played football in the NFL at a very high level so that when Stanford route, you know, is on the phone call with someone or you're in a Zoom meeting with someone, they know who you are. Like your name sort of rings out, speaks for itself. But then you have a lot of players that maybe uh, they're remembered, maybe they're not. Um, if you want to work, say, in other markets, say over in London or in Germany, maybe they remember you, maybe they don't. Um, and so we need to have people who are willing to make those introductions, um, who will vouch yes. for us. I've always said there's nobody who's been successful on their own. If Absolutely. you don't, if there's not someone out there saying, oh, no, making the introduction, connecting those dots for you, providing that bridge from where you're at to where you want to be. It's going to be very difficult. And I think every single one of us or every single person that you've seen have been successful. They've had someone out there at least vouching for them, putting in a kind word, a positive word that that helps open doors. 
Yeah, you know, uh, I remember from several times that I would be on the herd, uh, people, uh, FS1 shows like that. That's one thing that Colin Coward used to always say is that everybody needs a kingmaker. Everybody needs that right. one person that wraps their arm around you, they take you under their wing, and they simply are they're they're gonna help you try to get to wherever it is you're trying to be. They're gonna give you that opportunity per se. So for anybody that may be listening to this episode, anybody that's thinking of making the transition, whether it's not even going from football player to broadcaster, whether it's just simply going into broadcasting, what yeah. would your advice be to them? My advice would be just do the work because like what you're doing right now and like what so many people are doing, find a way to create your own content, find a way to learn the business from the ground up. That is the creation of the content, the distribution of the content. Um, you got to be able to have a sales route, right? Sponsorship. You should be able to learn that. But um, just it's more than just being the on-air personality, right? Um, it's You've got to really be able to wear multiple hats. And that's how you have to look at it. If you're going to be a content creator, you have to be a writer. You have to be a presenter. Like, you have to write a content. You have to write the content. You have to write a script. Even if it's just an outline of the things that you want to talk to me about today, you have to have a headline for every different yep. topic. So you have to be able to write yep. those things out to be able to tell a story from beginning to the end and be entertaining and informative. So just knowing some of the tools of the trade, uh, it's going to be required, you know, just diving in the water without knowing how to swim. Mm -hmm. That ain't going to cut it. You know, you got to have to learn some technique, got to have some talent, some of the tools that are required to function in whatever space you're trying to go into. But I would say uh, learn it from the ground up by a watching others, talking to the people who are doing the work, and you've got to be able to learn from them, and you got to be able to learn quickly. And then, other than that, you just need the repetitions to get good at the craft. I like what you just said about being entertaining. So, yeah. with you being an Emmy-winning broadcaster, mm -hmm. give me your most interesting, or just the just the most. I don't know. Just, yeah. Give me the most interesting interview that you've ever had as far as interaction on the sideline reporting, anything like that. Give me your most interesting moment. That's a good question. Uh, had a lot of them. Uh, I'll take you to probably what it's a moment that a lot of people can remember. Um, and it was uh, the Super Bowl. It was 2012. I think it was Baltimore Ravens, San oh, yeah. Francisco 49ers. The lights go out. Now, the lights go yeah. out at halftime, right? I'm a sideline reporter. Um, for the broadcast, uh, working for CBS Sports. And I'm on the sideline, <laughs> and I'll never forget it. The lights go out, <laughs> and everybody in the broadcast truck, you know, they want us to be cool when we're on the air, but they don't have to be cool in that truck. They get to just mm -hmm. lose it, right? They're screaming. Yep. They're going crazy. And, um, you know, they like, I already knew I needed to go over and talk with the coach to get information. All right, coach, what are you, you going to do? And I remember talking. Talking to John Harbaugh off air now because <laughs> I'm collecting, I'm gathering yeah. information right now to present later on the air. But you got to go collect the, the information first. And I was like, all right, coach, what are you going to do, man? Because remember, Jacoby uh, Jones had just returned oh, yeah. to kickoff uh -huh. right after Oh, yeah. Time. He was a neighbor of mine. Lived right yeah, next door to right. me. Yeah, he bad dude, man. And so yep. they took a sizable lead coming out after halftime. And then, bam, the lights go out. So I was like. Coach, what are you going to do, man? What, what are you telling your guys? <laughs> and Coach Harbaugh, 
Because I still think he was trying to get a sense of what's out. He says, I don't know. What would you what would you tell him? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me? I said, man, look, the other team over there, they're getting ready to make a run. I said, you should know the guy over there better than anyone else because it was yeah, his brother. It was your Jim brother. Yep. I, said, I said, look, look at him. I said, look at him, coach. He got his guys together. I said, man, they're getting ready to make a run. Trust me, I'm telling you, they're they getting ready to make a run, try to come back into this game. And I remember him looking at it. He said, you're right. And that's exactly what he called all the guys. <laughs> and he started pumping them up. They look at them over there, men. They're plotting. I, for all we know, they got something to do with this. <laughs> and so oh, man. gassing them up, you know. And, uh, and so then I go over and do my report. I never mentioned the conversation I had with Coach Harbaugh mm-hmm. because there's a rule in, in broadcasting, particularly as a reporter, never make yourself part of the story. Yeah. Now, I could tell you, nine out of ten people would tell that story. They're, mm-hmm. they're yeah, just for clickbait. Because, yeah, for clickbait, they want – they and, you know, the ego that we all have – we say, hey, guess what I just did for the Baltimore Ravens, you know? <laughs> guess what I just told the coach? He wasn't ready, but I was re- – nope, I didn't even paint that picture. I told a whole different story. I did talk about the fact that, um, you know, uh, John Harbaugh's brothers on the other side, look for them to make a run. They're getting ready to make a comeback into this game. You got to know brothers are the most competitive people we're ever going to find. Yes. You know, so I told a very interesting story that was also entertaining, but I didn't make myself as part of the story, but I still end up giving a compelling story that turned out to be uh, what we call proactive analysis. And guess what? The 49ers did come back in that game. Mm-hmm. They did come back to win it, but they came back to make it a very close game up until the end. But that's one of the more interesting stories that's never been told, to be honest with you. Um, but I, I had fun reporting that day. And and uh, every time I talk with guys about that who played in that game, I tell them that story. And they were like, oh, yeah, I remember Coach Harbaugh pulling us together. And we were prepared for the 49ers to make a run. So that's that's one. I mean, that's one of many stories, Stan. <laughs> hey, that, that's a great one, because I remember being in New Orleans down there for that game. And I remember when all of a sudden it looks like Baltimore is about to run away from him. You know, yep. Like my man, Jacoby yep. Jones, he had, uh, what was it? The punt return for a touchdown. He had the yep. deep post pattern for a touchdown. And then, you know, he's dancing in the end zone. You know, Jacoby, he's from New Orleans. So that for him, is. it's a home, it's a homecoming oh, party he, for him. He did his thing, man. They, and, they wouldn't have been in that Super Bowl without him. The plays he made against Denver. Against Denver. Yes. That's right. I mean, that dude was balling. Yeah, yeah, he was. And I remember thinking to myself, because I'm sitting right there watching the game, one of my close homeboys, and they were dominating San Francisco so much at the time. A part of us was were thinking, you think Roger Goodell did that on purpose just to like give, you know, San Fran a, a chance to kind of, you know, get their get their bearings, get their footing, maybe yeah. gain some momentum because yeah. it was just so bizarre at the Superdome that all of a sudden Baltimore is dominating, which you don't want to see a dominating performance in the yeah. Super Bowl where it's not competitive. You don't want to see that. And the lights went out. <laughs> like the yeah, lights man. okay not just yeah. the scoreboard a couple bulbs you know all of a sudden start flickering yep. the lights went out sorry oh, man <laughs> so yeah you yeah. had a super bowl now at a super bowl <laughs> and, be, and when you think back on that game that's the really the last big game 
that we saw Colin Kaepernick play in. You know, yes, Colin it was. was the guy who led that comeback oh, yes. for the 49ers. And they were one play away down inside the red zone mm-hmm. from potentially winning that game. Oh, yeah, that brings back so many memories, just how even in that season, he didn't even enter 2012 as the starter. You know, Alex right. Smith gets hurt. I think he got a concussion. And then all of a sudden, I think they throw in Colin Kaepernick on a Monday night football game. It's against the Chicago Bears. He does his thing. And then all of a sudden, that's when just the pandemonium started. And yes. Alex Smith winds up be- becoming healthy about maybe a week or two later. And yeah, Papa's like, was uh, you know what? Hold on it for a second. Uh, you know, hey, let, let's go with the young guy. Let's see what the young guy has. So yeah. I definitely remember that season very well. And yeah, they were just a play away from being Super Bowl champions. Yeah. And look, Colin got hot that year, man. There's no way. As much as I like and respect Alex Smith, I thought Alex was a great player in his own right. People don't realize he went to the same high school He's older than Reggie Bush, but he's from same San high Diego. school. That's right. And mm-hmm. he was a running quarterback in high school. Right? Yes, he was. And, uh, so that guy, man, bright, athletic. It was a real talent. Um, but he found himself on the outside looking in. I remember down at the Super Bowl and just going over there talking to him and how he handled that like a pro. You know, yeah. it was his team. He had been the first overall pick a few years ago, class. the same draft with Aaron Rodgers. And now here comes Colin Kaepernick. He's the starting quarterback as that team is playing in a Super Bowl. And I, I remember just saying, man, this game, boy, it's not always fair, if you know what I'm saying. It's, oh, it my can, goodness. It can deal with some <laughs> harsh blows, man, but you yes. got to be a man about it. And he was. Yeah, you know, Salim, the one thing I tell a lot of people is that this game will humble you. This oh, game yeah. will make a man out of you. And yeah. just simply – being able to understand that, like what you just said, this game is not always fair to you. It's going to be something that there will come a time where your boss will tell you, don't come to work tomorrow. There will come a time where you're going to watch somebody else play your position and they may be better than you. They may not be better than you, but that's just, that's just the mindset. That's the direction that your employer, AKA the franchise is headed. And to be able to, to handle it in a professional manner, to be able to handle it in a mature manner. That's exactly speaking to your point that this game will humble you. And it's all about still maintaining that level of professionalism. And you could see that's what also helped Alex Smith in being traded to the Kansas City Chiefs the very next season. And then obviously we saw the same thing kind of happen to him when he had to go ahead and move on to greener pastures whenever right. Pat Mahomes came along. That's right. But his career after he left San Francisco did this. Yep. And Andy Reid. And part of it, because Andy Reid, think about if if Alex Smith would have behaved differently Yes, when they transitioned from Alex Smith to Colin Kaepernick. If he would have showed an ugly side or not handled it in a professional way, Andy Reid would have never brought him to Kansas City. No, he wouldn't. But, but it, because of the way that he handled it, like a pro, you know, Andy Reid was like, oh, here's the guy. Kind of like Jalen Hurts, you know, you get benched in a championship game. Yep. In comes the other guy, Tua. He handled himself like a pro. That kind of character is really what a lot of coaches looking at. This is not about if you've ever failed. We all have failed, but it's about how we handle failure, right? That is the true test of our character. And that's what other people see that, that really, I think, opens the door for many more opportunities. Yeah, I, and I couldn't even, I couldn't agree more. And just to piggyback, 
that's where even like right now, you know, certain kids that I coach and that I give uh, mentorship to, they don't understand that. They think that, okay, I just got to be the biggest, fastest, strongest. I got to be able to lift the most. I got to be able to have the quickest backpedal, get out of my break, things like that. And obviously you got to have ability. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But they overlook that one aspect of what you just said, the character, because once you get to this level, you have your J.J. Watts, you have your LaDainian Tomlinson's, your Adrian mm-hmm. Peterson's, your Randy Mosser, you know, your aliens. That they're just simply better than everybody else out there. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of us mere mortals, you still have to be a person that's decent in the workplace to work with. You have to be somebody that they can get along with. You can't be a cancer. You can't be a malcontent. You have to still be somebody that's coachable, somebody that they can get along with and things like that. And I think that is a character trait that oftentimes is overlooked, especially with what I see within our younger generation. Yeah, and I would just tell the young players, as I currently do, when I talk about character, and I say, I'll tell them character is who you are when things don't go your way. Right. When you don't get what you want, you may have worked for it. You may feel like the time has come and you feel like, hey, I got it. When you don't get what you want, how you behave after that, that's what that's when your character is revealed. However it is you handle it. Right. If you handle it poorly, if you handle it beautifully, that's who you are. That's your character. Right. Um, That's because that's when it's you're tested the most. When you don't get what you want or what you expect and how you behave at that moment, that reveals your true character. Speaking of Jalen Hurts and like what you were saying about running quarterbacks, I'm going to make a statement and I want you to just tell me where this lands with you. So I've always believed that to ultimately win a championship, to ultimately have sustained success in the playoffs, that that tends to come easier for more of the pocket passers. For the running quarterbacks, they can have a lot of success, a lot of talent, much kudos to them. But in the playoffs, and you know it's a DB, when things tighten up, the defense coordinators get a little bit better, the corners are playing a little bit tired of those receivers, you got to be able to throw into those tight windows. It can't just be a good pass. It's got to be precise. It's got to be right there where it needs to be at. And I think... To win a Super Bowl, you have to be more of that pocket passer. When I say pocket passer, I mean your most feared attribute needs to be your arm and not your leg. Tell me where that lands with you. No, I, I think you I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, if you're exclusively a runner or predominantly a runner, um, 80%, 70% runner, and think you're going to be a 30% passer and beat some of the best teams, remember – once you get into the playoffs, you're playing against the best team. Yes. The best team. So they, they've they seen it. They've been there and done that, the experienced team. So, no, you, you've you got to be able to make defenses pay by, by being able to thread the needle. I mean, you and I both know coverage in the National Football League is as good as you ever going to find at any level of football anywhere. That it's best done in the NFL. The best athletes are on defense. The chasers of the quarterback. Absolutely. The covers, the guy who's got to cover fast, speedy receivers, mm-hmm. their re- reaction time. You and I both know that's where all the athletes, the real oh, yeah. athletes, right? Oh yeah. Um, and uh, if you were to put defensive players in a in a in a in, in a decathlon 
10 events, I'm telling you right now, they're going to score very high. Even defensive ends, man. These guys all running four fives, can leap, jump, do everything. And so that's what the quarterback has to face. And if you think you're going to run your way through that toward a championship, no, it just doesn't happen that way. Because remember, they're playing a fresh 11 guys every single week. Oh, yeah. That body, there's a reason why there's no aging running quarterbacks. That body, it with the wear and tear of a season – it only gets um, heavier. And <laughs> so true. <laughs> each and every week when you are the guy who's trying to pound it in there via becoming a running quarterback. So the only way you can really stay healthy is you got to get rid of – that ball is like a loaded hand grenade. As long as you're holding it, bad things happen. Man. Okay, so, but if you can get rid of it and you're dinking and dunking, now you can stay on the field. Not that you're never going to get hit, but you lower the frequency of getting hit. So by the time you get to the end of the year, you're still fresh and it's more sustainable and much more reliable. You know, and I tell people that I can load the box. I can go bring the strong safety up. I can have an eight-man box and I can literally have everybody shoot the gaps. And there's a defense that I can that I can create to stop a running quarterback. We just got to make sure that we're going to play cover zero out on the edges, maybe have a safety on the roof, but we're going we're going we are going to lend everybody to stopping the run. I can create a defense that can slow down a running quarterback. And when we start tagging him and he starts getting a little bit banged up, a little bit bruised up, he's not going to be running nearly as fast. But the one thing that even to this day in 2023 that a D coordinator still cannot create is a defense that can stop a perfectly thrown ball. That's right. I I I still say it that I'm a you you and I both are former defensive backs. A great a great throw beats great coverage every day. Every, every time. single time, every twice time. on Sundays. How many times have you had a guy covered and that ball got in there like a it was like throwing a harpoon? Hey. Hey, like, Bobby. How did that get in there, man? I was all over that dude. Man, let me tell you. <laughs> and and matter of fact, and and there's and there's one guy that I remember I had really good coverage, and he still threaded the needle, got it in there, and I'm about to bring him up right now. So, do I have any reason to believe that Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets will not be the most intriguing team or storyline this season? All season. How about that? All season. <laughs> all eyes are on the New York Jets. All eyes are on Aaron Rodgers. And you and I both know he's, I think, been reinvigorated, right? Yeah. By just being in a new environment and a new organization. Robert Sala is an upbeat guy. Yes, he is. He's got his own offensive coordinator. They got him there, Nathaniel Hackett. He got Robert Sala, one of the best energy guys you could ever be around as yeah. a coach. And you got the owner that flew out in his jet. Yeah. Like, we want you. How many players get that kind of treatment? Man, right? I tell you this, not many. Not many. So, this no, and, and Aaron needs to be in a good headspace, like all players, right? We need to – every player wants to feel wanted. Yes. And this guy not only feels wanted, he feels needed. And these young guys like a Sauce Gardner and, um, you know, um, Garrett Wilson and all – they love being around this dude, right? They're like, you know, this is so it's good for everybody, right? He's a force multiplier. Now, I believe the Jets know something that the Green Bay Packers clearly have forgot. As quarterbacks get older in our league, 
they need more help to do mm-hmm. their jobs, right? Like it, it, this dude's almost 40 and they're still rolling him out there with a bunch of rookies at receivers with a half baked <laughs> offensive line. Right. And come on, man, you, you, as quarterbacks get older, you've got to give them more quarterbacks need everybody. Yeah. They need their, their other people help to just to do their jobs. So you can't, I thought the Packers leaned. They were very conservative around Aaron. They were like, okay, Aaron, we'll give you as much money as we can give you, but go out and win it. Well, when you get to the playoffs or in that tournament, you're playing against the best teams in the league. They got a good team. They got more than just a good quarterback that you're playing. And the Packers seem to always think that you could just go out there with a good quarterback and a bunch of dudes, you know? So, and somebody forgot to tell them because they don't seem to participate often in free agency. They feel like, hey, we only build through the draft. Yeah. I, I remember that team, that team started um, at the end of the day, they got it done. Back, You go back to the early 90s. The thing that turned around the Green Bay Packers was not via the draft. It was two major moves. Mm-hmm. I know where you're going a, with it. It was free agency with a guy by the name of Reggie White. And oh, yeah, it was man. a trade by mm-hmm. a quarterback by, by the name of Brett Favre. Yep. So there's this myth that they built it via the draft. No, it was built because you needed to be aggressive Minister and you needed defense. to think outside the box and you couldn't be conservative to turn around that organization from where it was in the 70s and the 80s. At uh, By the time Ron Wolf came along, he knew he needed an accelerant, right, to expedite growth. So he went in and he said, look, we got to go big or go home. He signed. He went in free agency and got Reggie White, and he went via draft to get Brett Favre. And, and since then, they've been telling us, oh, no, we only build through the draft. Now, what that's telling you is we don't want to pay nobody. Yes, <laughs> unless, exactly. Unless you're on a rookie contract. Yeah, you know, because the Green Bay Packers, obviously, like I said, I've been to Green Bay. We played up there twice. I'm pretty sure you've been there as well. And it is not the type of place that you want to live year round. It's not. <laughs> like even the times that we played in Green Bay, we stayed in Appleton. And yeah. you get the sense that a lot of teams, they embody the city in which they're based in. And because Green Bay, small town up there in Wisconsin, they run it like a mom and pop shop. And because obviously small town Midwest and that right there is like what you just said, building through the draft, not really wanting to go and hit free agency very, very hard. I believe Charles Woodson's one of the, uh, the last big ticket free agents that they signed in, in the last 20 years. And, because of that, I think it started to weigh on Aaron. I think it started to get to the point to where I'm yeah. tired of this. We always want to do everything the natural way. We want to just build through the draft. And I think that uh, ultimately it just ran its course. Yeah. I, and I think they saw it. I think he saw it that he was going to have to make a move. And and so now, you know, look, uh, the Jets came calling. They've got, I mean, this is a, a roster that last year had the offensive rookie of the year and the defensive rookie of the year. Both of them. So, you know, I'm sure things like that impressed Aaron enough for him to really consider going to New York. Um, Obviously, everyone from Joe Namath on opened him, welcomed him with open arms. That's got to make him feel good. They picked up his contract, making well over $50 million a year. So all of the things that have aligned for him, and I, I do think he's been reinvigorated 
he's going to enjoy playing the game again. I think the new environment has has breathed, I think, fresh air uh, into his life and into his lungs. And and uh, I think we're probably going to see some of his best ball. Switching gears, but still about guys that make gobs of money a year, obviously definitely well-deserved. A lot of people feel because John Morant, because the way that gun laws are so lenient within this country, he didn't do anything wrong. A lot of people are saying that they feel that he's out of line, shows his immaturity, and obviously was basically giving the middle finger to the Memphis Grizzlies and the NBA because he got suspended for the very same act just a few months ago, only eight games, and apparently did not learn his lesson. What say you? Where does that fall with you? Look, I, I think you can look at this in a lot of different ways. If you are a um, supporter of, of being able to carry a gun and show your gun on social media, you're probably going to look at it one way. If you're a guy who's anti-gun and don't want guns in society at all, you're probably going to look at it a different way. If you are a corporate guy who who hires employees and think that employees um, should should follow the creed of the corporate agenda, you're going to look at it a, a certain way. If you're a worker, you look at it from the bottom up that, hey, when I'm not at work, maybe I get to do what it is I want to do. There's so so there's a lot of nuance here, right? In terms Absolutely. of if you wanted to justify whatever outcome that you want. At the end of the day, I, I, I just think we all uh, should feel privileged to, if, no, as talented as we are, we should feel privileged to have a platform where we can earn as much money as the market would supply. And in this case, over so 200 right. million. I mean, you should feel very fortunate. But at the end of the end of the day, there have been a lot of very talented people who have never um, seen an economic windfall. Mm-hmm. There have been a lot of smart people who've never, you know, seen, um, you know, an economic uh, overhaul of money and didn't even have the opportunity to earn it. But he does have that opportunity, have the opportunity to be the face of the NBA. There's been conversations about the way that they want him to conduct himself. And at the end of the day, he went antithetical today he went the opposite direction and still continued to exercise this poor behavior and poor judgment and so he could end up losing a lot of money I, I would just say this there's two ways to look at it as far as i'm concerned there's legal laws that we all have to operate under in this world today um and if we don't they've got a place waiting for us there's, yes that's criminal law they'll put you away and i don't from what we see, he didn't break any of those laws. But then there's these universal laws. It's called karma. What you put out in the universe comes back on you. Now, you don't have to believe it. It don't require your belief, right? <laughs> it's like if I plant seeds in the ground, right, and I water it, it's going to grow. What's going to happen is going to happen. It's going to grow whether I believe it's going to grow or not. That's because those are laws of nature. Yep. Those are universal laws, right? Whatever we we plant seeds, that's what we're going to get back. It, the images, the acts, pointing guns, waving guns, it's, 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 it's tacit violence, right? It's supporting a way of life that leads to potential violence. And so whether it's him or a family member or someone getting hurt, he's going down a road 
that you don't want to go down because he ain't about that life, right? He's, mm-hmm. He really isn't. Mm-hmm. He's, not, he's come from small town in, in South Carolina. Yeah. There are other people who see these images and it signifies to them that he's about that life. Yes. And now yes. they want, now they want to get out. try you. And that's right. And he don't, he don't want that. I, I mean, I can speak for him on that one. You know, I grew up in Compton, California. I grew up amidst bloods and crips and the whole nine. I, I mean, I've seen that, been there. And look, you don't want that. And for those of us who are blessed enough to be able to work our way and earn our way and, and come out of those situations, we're not trying to go back. We're not, we're not, trying, to, so we're not true. trying to plant any seeds that will allow that to, to uh, germinate in our lives. And I don't understand this phenomenon well, we, you know, as in this country, I think we do glorify gangster life. Let's yeah. face it. There's mm-hmm. a reason why people don't watch Scarface 20 times, The Godfather 50 times, right? We glory. And, and I don't think that mass media can really divorce themselves from some of the stuff that we're seeing with our young people, right? And, uh, but we should realize that uh, it's nothing to be glorified, that we've got to be more realistic, particularly particularly when you have potential in life that can take you down a whole nother road. Think about how LeBron has handled his superstar. Yeah. Class percent. What he's done with it and how many people he's helped in the community. Look at just how beautifully he hasn't fallen prey to some of these silly, you know, um, notions of, of, of popularism. But then you got some other guys, man, when given that same opportunity, they don't handle it as well. And that's what I'm hoping that Ja will begin to handle it much better than he has. Uh, and I'm pretty much echoing the same sentiments that you believe in, Sally. And you know, just like I know, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to explain it out just for anybody listening that did he do anything illegal? No, he's just holding a gun up. He didn't do nothing illegal. He didn't point it at nobody. He didn't shoot nobody. He didn't even fake like he's shooting at any, anybody. He's just pointing the gun up, holding it in the air, just like what is glorified in a lot of the rap music or the hip-hop music that that uh, that is being pumped into everyone's society within this planet. Not even this country, just within this planet. But this is where a lot of people and a lot of players that I've even played with a lot of guys now that you got to understand. And I'm going to form this in a question. Where else, especially for guys like us, in your 20s, can you be making eight figures a year? No degree, no master's, no nothing like that. In your 20s, making eight figures a year and all you have to do is just really just go to, you can go to work. You don't got to wear a tailored suit. You don't got to wear something yeah. really, really professional. Like all you got to do is just go up to the facility and basketball shorts, t-shirt, flip-flops. Yeah. <laughs> and where else can you do that on planet earth in your twenties, eight figures a year legally? Oh yeah. Look, the opportunities are are limited, right? Exactly. And, and, and that, yeah, at the end of the day, you it's two things. You got to know where you come from and you got to know your purpose. Why, why are you here? What are you trying to do? Okay. Who are the people you come from again? Who are those people? What do they represent? Is that what you represent now? 
And what's your purpose for doing this? What's your purpose for playing in the NBA? What are you trying to accomplish? So when you answer those two questions, I guarantee you, he would begin to contemplate an answer that would lead him away from that kind of behavior. No doubt about it. You know, and I think to me, that's where you have the legal side of things and then you have the private entity side of things because the NFL, the NBA, you can't just go to NASDAQ. You can't just go to uh, a Wall Street and buy stock in the Los Angeles Chargers. You can't go buy stock in the Miami Dolphins. You can't do that. They're a private entity. And whenever you are part of a private entity, whatever your boss tells you that he wants you to do, you got to do that. Especially when it's been collectively bargained, right? Exactly. You've already you already agreed to the term. Exactly. (laughs) You don't have to agree. You don't have to do it. But you also can't be a part of this. Well, you and 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 you void you void your contract. Exactly. Violate the morals clause. You can't have your hand stuck out where you want to receive a certain salary, receive a certain compensation that you definitely earn. There's no doubt about that. And then say, well, I mean, I still want to do things my way. It don't no, work like no, that. You've already agreed by way of collective bargaining that you will forfeit your rights to that money. To yeah, and, and, your rights to compensation uh, because you've hurt the brand. You've hurt the platform that has allowed you to earn that money. And if we allow everyone to go around doing it, that money will not be there. It will exactly. not be there for those private entities because it, it relies on this thing called public trust. Mm-hmm. 